Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, November 7th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all. I am back in my studio in Oregon, back from uh, a week of traveling. Got lots to talk about as far as that goes today. Uh, It is a free-for-all. That means anything you want to talk about will work. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. Those phone lines are open. The number to call, 855-950-3835. I could probably spend the next three hours talking about the traveling, the just so many things that I experienced when I was gone. It was a really interesting trip. The conference itself, um, the things I learned, I am going to talk about them some this morning. Uh, my keynote speech, which was uh, kind of interesting. Um, I am considering actually recording my keynote speech. I thought I, I actually thought about doing it live today. Uh, which I could do, but I don't think I'm going to. I, I, I think I'm going to record it very, very close to what I did present the second day. I actually changed my presentation. Unfortunately, on the first day, I, I did a uh, presentation in uh, Memphis on Tuesday of last week and then in Nashville on Thursday. And I was the keynote speaker. There were four other speakers, really interesting people. I got to spend a lot of time with them. We, we traveled together. We ate together. We were in the event together. So I really got to talk to them a lot and, and learn a lot. Um, so a lot of their content was really interesting. But I, right from the beginning, I wasn't sure why I was invited to do the keynote here. Um, I'm not really a keynote speaker. I I keep getting invited to do keynotes, and it's really not my thing. I I am more of an informational speaker. I'm not really motivational. And and keynotes are, are usually two things. They're usually entertaining, like funny, and there's a message in there somewhere. So kind of funny and motivational is usually what they are. Um, Larry Winget is an awesome keynote speaker. I actually spent some time um, when I thought I might want to be a keynote speaker. I spent some time with Larry and I learned a lot about it. And what I learned was I really don't want to be a keynote speaker. Um, it's just not me. I, I could do it. I realized that I certainly have the ability Uh, But a keynote is typically, like Larry's keynote, believe it or not, he knows exactly during that keynote when he's going to take a drink of water. It's that scripted and that memorized. Doesn't look like it when you watch it, unless you watch him at four different events back to back, and you'll realize. Now, he had a couple pieces he could move in and out depending on length, Um, but it's a lot of work to really nail down a good keynote speech. And then it's very repetitive after that. Uh, Keynote speakers get paid a lot. That's why I keep getting tempted to go do it because the the keynote's kind of crazy how much they get paid. Larry was very successful at it. But I decided it's just not what I want to do. So from now on, um, I'm going to turn these down. I think you heard the story. I told it before that when they... 
asked me to speak, I didn't want to go. So rather than just say no, I threw out a crazy price that I really didn't think they were going to pay, but they did. And then I actually got them to pay more. And then Lisa got involved, got them to pay even more for some other things. So, uh, but for me, it's, it's not worth it. Um, that's not me. It's not what I want to be. I couldn't figure out other than, you know, if it were a true keynote, why I was even there. So the things I tend to talk about did not fit in this conference. So I realized when I was watching the other four speakers on the first morning, and then I was up at, at lunch, um, I realized if I do what I wrote and have been working on for the last three weeks, people are going to think they went to lunch and came back and walked into the wrong room. Uh, so I made the decision on Tuesday to adjust on the fly um, with no time to really write or rehearse or think much through, I decided to just kind of wing it and, and go up on stage and um, try to fit my material around the topic as much as I could. And I feel like I failed miserably. I think it was a, a but I, I really, I guess I could have done more work ahead of time. Um, but once I realized how kind of off the theme I was, the choice was either just go up and do it or try to adjust. And the lesser of two evils, um, a lot of people said it was good and they got a lot out of it, but people won't criticize you when you really screw up like that. I criticized myself enough. So after Tuesday, I spent the rest of the free time that I had, which wasn't much because we were scheduled for dinners and we had to travel and we had all kinds of things going on. Uh, I, I rewrote. Thursday was completely different from what I did on Tuesday. I think I'm going to record what I did on Thursday, really, really close to it. Um, and then I may work on it and tweak it some because there may come some times where I do want to give this presentation to the right group, to the industry. And I'll give you an idea um, of what it was. Let me find some notes here. So first off, I'll, I'll say this. It was not motivational. It was not uplifting. It was not even positive. 95, 90 to 95%, I was on stage for an hour and 15 minutes, 90 to 95% of what I did was very negative and very critical of the industry. Things that, if you've listened to me long enough, would not be a surprise to you and people who listen to this show, um, but it was a really, really harsh message for the industry about a lot of topics. And then the other five or 10%, I gave them some solutions, some ideas, some visions, I think that could change the industry for the better. But people don't respond to that kind of heavy handed criticism. And it was, it was, it was kind of brutal. I, I doubt that I'll get invited back to speak by that group. I don't know. And I doubt a lot of times once you go out and speak, if you do a really good job, most speaking engagements I have lead to two or three others if I want them. I, I don't think anybody's going to send me any emails or call me, not after this one, which is fine. 
That's not my tribe. I've tried to work with, you know, fleets and big corporations before. And that's what this was. This was insurance companies, um, fleet owners, fleet executives. There were some, you know, down in the trenches workers there too, but not many. Um, that, that's, it's just not my audience. And I, I've, I've tried because I think, you know, we could make some changes in the industry, but it's, it's not for me. So here, here were the topics I covered. And I'll just real quick on a run by, I think you know most of my message on these anyway. Um, driver pay by the mile. Uh, we need to change that in this industry. It's not a topic I, I've spent a lot of time on because I don't see it changing. But when you look at the fact that for a trucking company, their two biggest costs are driver pay and fuel, and they go back and forth depending on fuel price. We put those two in direct conflict with each other when we pay by the mile. It, it's just ignorant. That's all you need to know about it. That's enough to know we should change that. And I, I, you know, I don't care about safety and all those other things right now. Just how do you run a company when your two top expenses are in total competition with each other? The driver wants to drive faster because you're paying him by the mile. And the number one way to lower your fuel cost is to slow down. That alone is enough. But I, I, I beat him up pretty hard on that. Um, lease purchase plans. Holy cow, did I, uh, did I piss off a lot of people with this topic? I said that they, if, if I could wave the magic wand, and you can't, I, I believe every company should be able to do whatever they want as long as they're not breaking a law, and they're not with these. Uh, but I said, if I could wave the magic wand, my vision of the trucking industry, they would go away completely. They just wouldn't exist. They are horrible for this industry. They're horrible for us as, as you know, what's the term? As owner operators who own the title to our equipment. That, that's the best way I can put it. Whatever your situation is, whether you lease to a carrier, whether you have your own authority, whatever it is, when you have the title to your equipment, that's the difference. And the lease purchase plans are bad for us. And they're bad for the people that they're doing it to. And honestly, it's bad for the fleet. Unless your fleet model is that you make more money off leasing trucks to people than you do moving freight. And I think some of that happens. Um, I blast... So, I'll just give you a quick taste of how I presented it. Like I say, I may record this and play it as a show. I, I almost did today. I thought about it. And then I actually thought about maybe even presenting it live on the fly. But a lot going on this week. So uh, a lot of things I want to get to. And of course, the show still is about you. If you want to jump in and talk about anything, you can at any time. I'll watch the phones. We don't have any calls yet. Uh, but if you want to jump in, jump in and call. So here's kind of how I presented it. The first thing I did was ask if there are people in the room that work for a company or own a company or whatever it might be that has a lease purchase plan. And if I had to get, there were probably on Thursday, there were probably 70 people in the room, maybe 70 or 80. And I probably had 10 that raised their hand, they either worked for a company or owned a company that had a lease purchase plan. And then I said, I, over the last 25 years, I have reviewed hundreds of these contracts. I, I wish I would have kept count. It, it's 
hundreds at least. And I said, some of them are really awful. Some of them are just horrible and you can see it right away. I said, I have found some that the way the contract is written, they're really, really well done. Great lease purchase program. And then I asked people to raise their hand again after I explained that if they worked for a company that had a lease purchase or owned a company that had a lease purchase. So they raised their hand. I said, keep them up. And I looked over to the left and I looked at somebody's table and their hand was up and I said, your lease purchase sucks. And then I looked somewhere else in the room like I was really looking around to find somebody and I pointed to somebody with their hand up and I said, and your lease purchase sucks. And at this point, they're probably thinking that I'm talking specifically about theirs and you should have seen the look on the face. And I am pretty sure I heard somebody in the audience gasp. I heard that several times. I knew I was striking a chord just by the, the audience reaction. So then I let them sweat a little bit like I was really gonna you know, point them out personally, took a long pause and I said, here's the truth. No matter whether the contract itself is really horrible or whether it's the best one ever written, all lease purchase plans suck. And then I explained why, and you've heard me talk about it. No matter how good they are, the people who are signing them shouldn't be signing them. No matter how good they are, you should never sign one. Just go buy your own damn truck and hold the title. That, that's my take on this. They, they're, they are no good for anything. So that really uh, hit hard for a lot of people, I think. I, if you've heard my rant on Truck Driver Appreciation Week, I really hit them pretty hard on that one. Basically, my message to them was that if they were to identify their best drivers and their best independent contractors, let's say the top 10%, people who are really safe, who are on time, who the customers just love, you get great feedback from, they're, they're easy to work with, the people within the company like working with them. If we could set up that criteria and pick the top 10%, I said, instead of this horrible practice of pretending like you appreciate all drivers, which if you know anything at all, if you say you appreciate everyone, what you're really saying is you appreciate no one. And I've said, I don't appreciate all the drivers on the road. Some of those jackasses shouldn't be on the road. That's what I said. So why do we have this charade where we pretend like we appreciate them and we give them free hot dogs and a cookout in the parking lot that 99% of them can't make it back to anyway? Why do we do this? And I said, we do it because it was some PR firm. You know, the, the ATA or whoever, and by the way, one of the speakers who, I really, really like this guy. Um, some of you may know him. You may know of the company. Um, I have no idea what the company itself is like. Uh, so I am only speaking about the person I spent a week with. I really liked the guy. I, I had a blast with him. He started referring, he was our, 
he kind of drove us around all the time because he's from uh, New Orleans and he drove up. He said it was just easier than trying to get on a plane and he wa- had wanted his car or his, uh, he's got a big SUV. So he drove us all around all week. He started referring to us as the five, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, I actually talked to them about maybe doing a quarterly show called the five and we'd get all, all five of us together. We'll see about that. But um Randy uh, Gillat, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, his father, or no, his grandfather, I'm sorry. His grandfather started Southeastern, I think it's what, Southeastern Express? Southeastern something uh, in the 1940s. Randy started G, Triple G Express in 1983. Uh, it's a, they're mostly containers in and out of the ports around New Orleans, uh, about 150 independent contractors. They do a little bit of short haul van work, not much. Like I said, I know nothing about the company other than those details. Randy, though, is just an amazing guy. I just had a, I had a lot of fun with him. Um, so I just really, and oh, and I know why I was bringing up Randy, because I, was, I started talking about the ATA, and this was probably a big PR thing. Um, Randy was the ATA, ATA chairman in 19 and 20. Um, Randy was the ATA chairman. So uh, interesting guy. Blasted him about Truck Driver Appreciation Week. I said they should take all the time and effort they put into this whole charade, and they should focus it on the 10% of their drivers they want more of. That's just good business. Reward the behavior you want more of. Instead, when you reward everybody, what you're telling them is just keep behaving the way you are and we'll reward you anyway. Not that it's much of a reward. You could do so much better. We could do so much better as an industry if we focused Truck Driver Appreciation Week on the drivers who truly deserve to be appreciated and give them something that really shows you appreciate them, not a free hot dog and some coffee. That wasn't accepted well. I didn't expect any of this would be. What I hope, though, is that after they get over being offended and after they get over being so defensive about all this, because everybody thinks they're doing a fantastic job. Oh, no, that's not us. I talked about, I'm going to go back to lease purchase plans. I talked about the fact that there's like zero training. You're taking people who know nothing about business, maybe don't even know much about trucking or a truck, and you're, you're committing them to pay the payment on a $230,000 truck and to insure it and to maintain it at their cost, and they have zero ownership and you don't give them any training. And immediately somebody's hand went up. Oh, no, we have training in our fleet. I said, look, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you what fleet you belong to, but I'm going to tell you this. I've looked at that training. It sucks. That was one of my favorite terms, by the way, Um, because it's kind of shocking in a setting like that. And I said, here's why. Let me tell you some of the things that I see in these training programs. They teach their lease purchase guys to only put in enough fuel to cover the trip you're on right now. And if it's the weekend, try to finish on Friday with your tanks almost empty. Well, there's some really bad reasons not to do that. 
just mechanically. You don't want to let tanks sit empty. They gather condensation like that, especially this time of year. It's a horrible idea. But beyond that, if that's how you're buying your fuel, you're wasting a lot of time because you're fueling more often and you have obviously no clue about how fuel tax affects your purchase price. So I said, yes, you're training them and the kind of stuff I see being trained, you should just stop. It would be better if you didn't train them at all. Uh, They didn't take that well. So what else did I hit them on? Recruiting and retention. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this one. I used to get invited to a lot of recruiting and retention conferences. And here's the first thing I would do. I used to shake him up back then on this topic too. The first thing I would do when I got up on stage is I would say, how many people in the room are part of the recruiting department? And almost every hand in the room went up. And then I'd say, and how many of you have a pretty sizable budget for recruiting? And almost every hand went up. And then my attempt at humor, I would say, how many of you in this room are retenders? That's not a word. I guess I would have to text, call them retention specialist, maybe. But I said, how many of you in the room are retenders? Who in this room is actually responsible for retention? And of course, I knew the answer I was going to get. And sure enough, somebody raised their hand, all excited to have the right answer. And they said, oh, but in our culture everybody's responsible for retention. And I actually started laughing. And they, what are, why are you laughing? This was back when I used to do the retention conferences, but I got the same feedback on this one. I said, remember what I said about appreciating everybody? Really means you're appreciating nobody. If there is no retention department, if there is no retention budget, and you claim that everybody's responsible for retention, then nobody is. They don't want to hear that either. So then I went on to my final topic, which was industry fuel economy. um, And I blasted them on the fact that it's horrible that as an industry, we still get 6.6 miles to the gallon as an average when we are very regularly talking about 10 plus now. Uh, Joel just put out some numbers. I think he had one leg of his trip. He actually did 13.1, I think. Um, And that's cherry picking, I know, but we are talking about 10 plus consistently these days. In fact, somebody should probably rename all the nine plus groups to 10 plus because we're really really starting to achieve that. All right, so as far as um, kind of a recap of, I didn't even really talk about my travel. I talked about the event. Um, Travel was interesting. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it unless the phone doesn't ring. Uh, I do have a couple more topics I want to get to, but I'd also like to hear from you this morning. So pick up the phone and join me. You can talk about anything you want. 855-950-3835. So the conference itself and the other four speakers is one part of the industry that I really don't pay much attention to because it really just doesn't have much of an impact on my tribe. So many of you know, I I really don't talk about um, uh, compliance. That's one area that uh, I'm going to 
actually take a second here, uh, and I'm going to make sure that our phones are actually working. Um, so I'm sure somebody is listening. Can we just double check to see that the phones are working? I'm kind of shocked that I haven't got a call at all yet. Um, maybe people are just listening that closely. That's what I'm hoping for. And I have plenty to talk about today. I can easily do the, the hour on my own if you want me to. Um, but I'd rather talk to you. Oh, there we go. Okay. So looks like a call's coming in. They must be working. You guys were just so totally wrapped up in what I'm saying. That's my story. But I do want to touch on this topic. Um, insurance at the big fleet level um, nuclear verdicts, which uh, that term's been out for a while now, a new term um, that somebody brought up at the, at the event, uh, hand grenade verdicts. So real quick on that topic, these nuclear verdicts are these crazy, we actually had a $1 billion settlement in the trucking industry. Let me give you one example of a nuclear verdict that will probably shock you, but this is absolutely true. So um, the, it was Warner that was involved in this. And Warner, whether you like him or not, Warner has put a lot of money and research into, and development into safety and a lot of cutting edge stuff. They're, they're, they're willing to experiment with a lot of things. I mean, look at how long they had ELDs before the industry was even talking about it. So Warner's a pretty forward-thinking company. Whether you like them as a driver or not um, really isn't relevant. But so clearly they, they put a big, big focus on safety. One of the attorneys that was there, that was one of the speakers. Um, actually, I had her on the show a couple weeks ago. Carrie, she was the gearhead, the dragster uh, driver. She even went through some of their stuff. I, I talked to her about it. And she said, yeah, th this is one of the companies that as far as uh, safety and, and verdicts is, is doing a lot of things right. But here's what happened. Um, some of you may remember this case. I do, but I, I didn't really think much about it at the time and I didn't follow up on it. So there was a car. I believe there were either two or three adults and two children stopped in the travel lane for some reason on the interstate stopped in the travel lane the adults got out of the car and walked away and a Werner truck hit the car from behind killed both children now we immediately think that you hit something from behind you're at fault whatever the circumstances were here the driver was not charged at all no charges against the driver, no charges against the company, no safety violations, no nothing. And whatever the situation was, it was so egregious that one of the adults was actually charged and convicted criminally. So this seems pretty clear cut. The trucking company was totally exonerated. No charges, no nothing really. And that seems odd when you run into something from behind, but that's what happened. And this was a big case. The driver themselves, not only are they charged with some sort of traffic violation, they are charged and convicted criminally. Werner settled the case for $150 million. 
because these fleets are terrified of going to court. They are terrified of juries. They will settle no matter what. They will not go to court. They are afraid of that could have been a 500 or a billion dollar. Two kids get killed. They will not go to court. That, that's the nuclear verdict situation we're in right now. These verdicts are hundreds of thousands or millions, hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes, depending on, here's all that matters. The size of the verdict usually has very little to do with the accident itself. Now, clearly you kill children, that's gonna be a big one. But that isn't what tells you how big the verdict is gonna be. The best indicator of how big the verdict is gonna be is how deep are the pockets of all the people the attorneys can go after. Can they go after the fleet? How much money do they have? How many insurance company or, or insurance policies do they have? How many other companies do they own that they might be able to go after? I learned more about this whole nuclear verdict, jury trial thing. It was just uh, fascinating stuff. Then hand grenade verdicts are these little annoying accidents where you, you know, bump somebody with your tandems or, you know, you catch the car in the parking lot turning too sharp or just, just the kind of stuff that happens all the time. They used to be 20 or $30,000 verdicts. You know, you fix their car, you give them a little trouble, you give them a little money for their trouble. So they go away. Um, those were 20 to maybe $50,000 verdicts. And they happen a lot in trucking. It's just part of our every day almost in trucking at big fleets. Now, those verdicts are now $250,000 to $400,000 for some of these stupid little accidents that happen a lot. So the trucking industry is terrified of this. They won't fight anything. They just roll over and say, here, take our money. We don't want to go to court. Um, Randy. Gilat, the owner of Triple G Express, the guy that I was talking about, got tired of it. He said, I'm not doing this. He said, as an industry, we've got to fight back. And he's, he's a small company, 150 independent contractors in, in Triple G Express. I don't know what size Southeastern is. Um, but he said, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not rolling over. Randy reminds me of a street fighter. Um, he said, I'm not rolling over. We're going to fight this. He did go to the big fleets and it's several of them, especially being on the ATA and said, look, guys, I know you don't want to fight this in public, but you got to help me. I'm too small to do this, but I'm going to do it. I'll lose everything if I have to. I'm going to go do this. I'm not going to put up with it. So he is getting some quiet support from parts of the industry uh, that don't want to be made public uh, that they're doing this, but somebody has got to do something that's, I may record a whole show about this topic because it was so fascinating. There's a, there's actually a book out. You can go look. I think you can look it up on Amazon. Um, I saw a screenshot during the presentation. I got so busy this weekend. I forgot to go check myself. The book is, it might be titled lizard theory. It's lizard something lizard theory, maybe, um, to buy this paperback book on Amazon, 
the price that that the guy showed up on the screen, which was just last week or something, he took the screenshot, $2,250 for a paperback. Here's what it does. It, it, it is a playbook, step-by-step playbook for trial lawyers in any industry, not just in trucking, in any industry, um, to teach them how to get these nuclear verdicts. And it is, it, it's just awful. What, what I, I, I don't even know how these people sleep at night. Now I know they kind of justify it by saying, well, we're protecting the little guy that got in the accident. No, you're not. That's not what this is about. This is about the fact that the trial lawyers get 30 or 40% of these multi-million dollar settlements. These people are getting outrageously rich over, over suing people and, and knowing that juries will, will create these nuclear verdicts. And this is the handbook for it. You can go, well, I'm not going to buy it, um, but I... I will be able to get my hands on a copy from somebody, uh, one of the, the other speakers. Uh, I want to read it. Now, you can go a little bit further than that. Again, this is for any trial lawyer in any industry trying to sue anybody. It's all these strategies and tactics on how to do this and how to do it well. Then there is a group. Uh, let me go see if I can find their website. If you want to go check this one out, uh, Let's try that. See what I get from that. Um, oh, here it is. Oh, that's the guy who was presenting this even said their website was horrible to remember and I forgot it. So um, you can go to Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys.org or just do a search for ATAA. Does that sound familiar? ATAA um, and trucking. Do ATAA trucking in a search. You'll see it. It's Academy of Truck Accident Attorneys. Their website, you would swear you land, you just landed on the ATA's website. ATAA, they've got a red, white, and blue circular logo with the, what looks like kind of a highway or a road running through it. That's not by accident. They absolutely have nothing to do with the ATA. The ATA hates these people. These are the people who have probably read the book Lizard Theory, and now they have conventions and and seminars and webinars and courses on how to teach attorneys to sue trucking companies specifically. All the billboards you see you know, hit by a truck, injured by a truck, hire us. They probably all belong to this organization. This is the kind of stuff uh, that was there. But, and, and a lot of this was fascinating. They talked about specific cases. But there's another area of the industry that I remember hearing about several years ago. It, it was kind of, you know me, I scroll headlines every day. So I remember these headlines. I never clicked on the articles and read them. It just didn't seem relevant to me. I have so much I'd like to keep up on that. I, I, this is a topic I just ignored. And the, new, the topic I'm talking about now are staged accidents. And I remember once they started talking about these that they were primarily focused down in the New Orleans area. They're all over the country now. They really kind of started in the New Orleans area. Randy, again, the um, owner of Triple G, 
was really pissed off about these because he was right down there where these started. And after a while, he said, look, we're, we're fighting back. We're fighting back on the verdicts and we are going to fight back on these staged accidents. So he started um, putting camera systems in his trucks. And these are independent contractors, by the way. Um, only forward, nothing looking in the cab at all forward looking but they would set them up so maybe they saw mirrors down the side so you, and then they started doing some rear facing but not in the cab rear facing you know so he could pick up more evidence of what was going on around the truck and they started seeing clearly staged accidents one of the stories, and he showed the video of it, they had a, a video from the uh, camera looking forward in the cab, and then this was actually uh, off the interstate, come down into the uh, city, and they had another camera from a, a shop on the corner there that caught the accident as well. So they had two cameras. It was pretty clear what happened. Um, I doubt that anybody would look at this and say it wasn't staged. It was so obvious. But without those cameras, you'll never prove that, ever. It, it, those, are, those end up being chargeable accidents, and without the cameras, you can't prove it. So Randy finally said, look, we've got some evidence on this one. This one is clear. So the way this works, um, they have people called um, recruiters or organizers. Then they have people called slammers. So all these people are trained. This is very highly organized. In fact, I'm going to get to that part of it. That was the really interesting part. So an organizer or a recruiter goes out and finds people who are willing to be in these accidents and offers them a whole bunch of money and they're going to get part of the settlement. And here's another thing that they know about these. You, these stage accidents almost never only have one person in the car. They have, they'll load up the car, four or five. They'll do nine passenger vans and load them up. Two advantages for them. Everybody in the car becomes a witness and they all say the same story. But it's bigger than that. Everybody in the car is also a victim and now has a lawsuit. So now you have four lawsuits against you instead of just one. So in this case, this was so outrageous and they were able to prove this. There were two passenger vehicles involved in this staged accident. One was a passenger car with four people in it. Another one was the, a pickup truck with one driver. That driver was the organizer as well. He did several things and they were able to prove this through email and text messages. He set up the accident ahead of time, where it was going to happen, how they were going to do it, who was going to be involved, how many people, all the details were there. And he actually took that accident before it happened and shopped it around to attorneys. So now we know the attorneys are crooked too. And he got an attorney, he, he took the highest bidder. Who will pay the most for this staged accident if we pull it off? They have all the documentation. I was just shocked. I had no idea this went to this depth. So the slammer is in the car, driving the car with the four people in it. It's their job and they're trained on how to hit the truck, create maximum damage to the vehicle with the least amount of damage to the participants because 
everybody can claim, you know, they have back problems and they'll never be able to work again. So just make it look really bad. Do as much damage to the car as you can. After the accident, immediately after, the pickup truck is right there, right on the scene. The guy driving the pickup truck jumps out and switches places with the driver in the car. I'm not sure why they did that step. I don't, I don't know if I missed that or if they didn't explain that part. But that alone was pretty outrageous. And they, they, again, they were able to prove that. So Randy is fighting back and he doesn't want money. He, he's not, he said, look, I don't care if I go broke doing this. I want somebody's ass. And that's what he said. He said, I want those people to hurt and I want to be the one that hurts them. I just love this guy. Um, so he now got the first conviction of one of these organizers, the guy that set this all up and then jumped into the driver's seat. That guy got convicted first time ever in one of these accidents. A week later, that guy was executed and there's no breaks in the case whatsoever. This looks like one of those New Orleans murders that's just going to go completely unsolved. But it turns out that much of this is organized crime. That's why it's so well organized and so effective. This is the mob basically doing this. And the first person that got convicted that might have been able to really squeal ended up dead a week later, execution style. I, I was listening to Randy, and like I said, I get, he, he presented this. He had the videos, and, but then I got to spend a lot of time with him. We talked about this. I said, Randy, I said, this stuff's just fascinating. I said, the first thing I want to do is outline all of this and send it to John Grisham to write a lawyer novel about this, a legal novel. I think what a fascinating book that would make. He actually mentioned that, um, that there was a screenwriter from Hollywood that was talking to him about this. And he said he will absolutely not do it. And it's because he, he, it would hurt the trucking industry, he believes it wouldn't help them. Uh, he thinks it would just hurt the, the image of the trucking industry and he won't do it. Um, I, and I, you know, after he said that, I kind of agree with him, I guess. But uh, I think it would have made an awesome John Grisham novel. There, there was so much. But uh, what other points? Let me check some notes I had from the week. I have so many. Um, there were so many points I wanted to talk about on this. Um, I think I'll stop there. I, I may do a, uh, a, a another episode of this, or I may do a, another open with this topic because um, there, there was really a lot of fascinating stuff. And again, it's just a part of the industry that I have really just totally ignored and had no idea this kind of stuff was going on. All right. We've got some big, big things coming up. Um, all you're going to get are teasers right now. But I can promise you that uh, as far as our business model and how we do things, especially a lot of what we're doing on our websites. We've talked about the fact that our websites are kind of all over the board and we know that, and it's been the best solution up until now. For example, we have letstruck.com, which is our main site. That's where our store is. We have all kinds of other features there as well. Uh, Some of our really important things. 
um, fuel gauges and profit gauges. You can get it on your phone on the app, obviously, but if you want more information, both of those services are web-based on the server. So those are at letstruck.com. The store's at letstruck.com. Um, lots of other things are at letstruck.com, and they're all hard to find because navigation, when you have a lot of information, becomes difficult. Now, on top of that, we have our um, Let's Truck University site, uh, which is learn.letstruck.com. That's where all of our courses are. Then we have healthytribe.com, which is our social networking site if you're interested in health. And we have truckingtribe.com, which is your social network for all the trucking-related issues. We love all the information, and, and we love being able to put out more information, but we realize that in the big picture, that's all kind of clunky. And I, I might even be missing a site that we have. Probably am. And we realize it's kind of clunky, and we get that. And we have been working very hard towards finding solutions for that. Um, we've grown a lot over the years. We, we've added a lot of new features, a lot of new material, a lot of new content. We love that, but we also realize that it doesn't get used as much as it should. And what good is it if it's not being used? So we have a solution. I'm not going to give you a lot of details right now. The, you'll start to see some changes um, on December 8th. I'll give you a date. You're, you're, you will see changes to the two tribes at least by December 8th. Really, really good changes. And depending on um, how much time and resources we can free up here, uh, you may see some pretty major changes after that, making our web presence much more cohesive and easy to navigate and easy to find all the good content and material we continue to put out. There will be more cohesiveness between the show, the live show itself, and um, the we our web presence. And right now, I'm not even going to say website. I'm going to say web presence. It's going to change in some really exciting ways. So what is going to happen right now for me, um, now that I'm back from my travel, all the other projects I'm working on that are kind of getting wrapped up. Some really good news about the stress protocol, really interesting stuff about the sleep protocol. I'll probably talk about those on Wednesday. Um, so all of that, bringing that all together in a much more cohesive way, easy to navigate, more powerful, um, which will, and I'll warn you ahead of time, we don't do these things to, um, to irritate anybody. We really don't. We know they can be very irritating. Uh, all of us deal with this. I get frustrated when one of my favorite programs, I, well, I just talked about, I, I now believe that the, the audio problem I'm facing is because I did a big upgrade on my laptop and I totally forgot to test something like this. Um, just coming back from travel, I did as much testing as I could without actually being on a live show. So I, I get it. We don't 
really like change. We can get a little overwhelmed with it all. But I can promise you this. This is going to be a change that if you just are a little patient, you work through, you are going to be very happy that you did. I, my head is exploding with ideas right now on how we can serve our tribe so much better uh, going forward with what we're able to create now, what we're, we're almost in some ways wrapping some things up. But for me right now, I am setting aside almost every project I have. I'm not going to work on anything else unless I absolutely have to. Sometimes things do come up that I just have to do. And I'm going to work on this idea, wrapping it up, bringing it all together, getting as much of it ready to launch as possible um, on December 8th. There will be some pretty big changes on December 8th. Now, you aren't going to have to change anything. You'll just notice that things are getting or, or will be much better on the two tribe sites. Uh, on December 8th, that could happen. After that, we'll, we'll kind of keep you updated on the roadmap and, and what kind of things we're going to be rolling out. I'll, I'll throw out some teasers. Uh, I am going to experiment with uh, a lot more video. I, uh, we're really considering building a, um, a, a video set up into my studio here and live streaming at least all of my shows. So that's, that's one of the ideas we're working on, but uh, a lot more. And we're also looking at tying together our paid services to make that easier. So I know some people have two memberships on the tribe sites, Healthy Tribe and Trucking Tribe. They have a uh, Profit Gages membership. They have a membership at the store. We're going to try to make that somewhat more cohesive as well. So, and come up with some new pricing. Again, these are all teasers, just teasers. Come up with some new pricing that I think you might be really excited about uh, uh, to, to provide a lot of value um, for a very, very reasonable price. So we, we, uh, we'll keep you updated on that as we go. Um, I could probably talk the rest of the day, but I'm kind of frustrated that I couldn't talk to callers today after I asked everybody to call. So I'm a little disappointed in myself. I'm not sure how I missed this. So in my mind right now, I'm kind of distracted because I want to go fix this problem. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap this up today. Uh, I'm going to make sure I get this audio problem fixed and we will be back tomorrow with the power hour. So we will see you then. In the meantime, be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.